<laughs> Thank you, Kay, for getting us started this morning. Welcome to Graduation Sunday. We welcome family members here today to celebrate and be a part of our graduation of our students from first here at our church family. We here at First Church want to wish our graduates all the best and that they will seek the love of the Lord all the rest of the days of their lives and have success in their career endeavors. With a bit of humor and a dose of seriousness, we hope you guys come back once in a while because we actually love you and we enjoy you guys. With tomorrow being Memorial Day, we also want to thank and remember those that have served our country to maintain the freedoms that we have. Martha Setlich passed away on Friday. Viewing for her and her family are Tuesday in the Ministry Center from 2 to 4 and 6 to 8, and the service on Wednesday at 10.30 here at the church. Filling the Heritage Room this morning are a whole bunch of shrares. The rose on the altar is honoring uh, of Lee and Gloria Shrare's 60th wedding anniversary, which they celebrate on Thursday, May 24th. Congratulations. The last day of Sunday school will be next Sunday. VBS will be here in seven days. We have been busy planning and preparing for VBS week. We here at New Knox will have a wonderful Bible school program and can't continue the quality of this ministry and the kids it, it touches without help. Please talk to Tori if you can serve in this great ministry. Now, if you'd arise and join me in the call to worship, which is taken from Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the people praise you, God. May all the people praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the people with equity and guide the nations on the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, bless us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. And now in the blue hymnals, hymn number 285, in Christ there is no east or west. Next, we'll have the children's chat, and while they're coming up, extend a hand, a smile, and a hug to those near you. What do I have? 
A kite. Have you ever made a kite? I mean, not out of a package. Have you ever made one? How many of you have made a kite out of newspaper? Yes, that's the only way to make a kite. Ask Grandma or Grandpa or Mom and Dad if they've ever made a kite out of a newspaper and some sticks. So this is a relatively very cheap kite. So if it holds together through this morning, we'll be wonderful. But you know, our lives with Jesus can be like a kite. You want to find out how? Yeah. Well, on the front of this kite, there's a butterfly. And it's made out of what? What's this made out of? Plastic. They can be made out of anything, newspapers, whatnot. But this one's a butterfly. So let's pretend that's you. Okay. Can that plastic fly by itself? No. What does it have to have? Huh? What does it have to have in the back of it? Sticks? Plastic? What does shape do those two sticks make? A cross. That's absolutely right. If we're the canvas and Jesus is the cross and we attach ourselves to Jesus... We are going to be stronger and we can fly higher with Jesus' help. Now, what is at the bottom of this kite? We've got the canvas or the outside. We've got the, what is this thing at the bottom? What is it? A ribbon. Or what else do we call it on a kite? A tails. Now, if we didn't have tails on this kite, and if you ever tried to fly a kite without tails... Would it fly? No, it just goes right down on the ground, won't it? It keeps it from spinning out of control because you can't fly without the tails. And it's like our faith that kind of keeps us a little bit grounded and heading in the right direction. And every knot on the tail is a Bible verse that's going to help you. When you need help. You have a favorite Bible verse? Let's say, God so loved the world, he gave his only son. So when you feel sad or whatever else, there's another Bible verse you can nod on the tail. And there's a lot of those that will come in handy as you grow up. And some of you graduated from kindergarten. Some of you have gone to graduate from high school. And you'll need those Bible verses to keep on going, and especially when you graduate from college. makes a big difference, okay? Because so, you want to keep flying. Okay, we've attached ourselves to Jesus. He's going to give us strength. The tales are going to give us things to, that we've learned from reading the Word of God. What else is there? What makes it fly? Wind. Now, if that wind is the Holy Spirit, he brings you closer to God, to Jesus, because it blows what? When it blows, it pushes right against that back, doesn't it? Right against Jesus. So it pushes you closer and keeps you up when you feel discouraged, when you feel down. So there's a lot of things this kite can remind you of your life with Jesus. When a kite's up in the air and you see kites in the air, what do you do? You smile. You like to watch them. We saw some in North Dakota and they were huge. It was totally awesome. And they fly and you smile. But if it's on the ground all crunched up in a cornfield, how do you feel? Sad. Sad. So if you keep flying high... Being attached to God and sharing things, people are going to see how happy you are. And they're going to see that everything that you do shows the love of God. It's really exciting. Now, there's one thing we haven't talked about. And what's that? The string. That's right. Ben behind me told me he remembers one that string broke. And it flew away and it crashes. But you know, God can seem really far off. But you know who handles this string in our life? 
God. And he is he ever going to let go of that string? No, he's not. We can't always hear him, but we feel a little tug once in a while when we have a decision to make. And that tug is helping to send us in the right direction. His connection to us is so strong, he's not going to let go of that string. And in the book of Psalms, it says, Though people may stumble, they will never be hurled headlong, for the Lord holds them by the hand. God has a hold of you. God always knows where we are and the way he wants to pull us to keep us balanced on our cross. Our tail, the wind, and himself. So someday, when it's time that he reels us in and we find ourselves cradled in his arms... After our long flight and our days of the Christian kites are over, we will know that God's always been there to help us fly. Let's say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the things you have given us. Help these children as they fly through their next years of growing up. And may they always be attached and close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lost in our service in the last week at Camp Camp Bonsteel in eastern Kosovo, Staff Sergeant Conrad Robinson, 36, from Los Angeles, California. At Bremerton, Washington, nuclear nuclear electrician's mate, second class, Jeremiah Adams, 24, from Aurora, Illinois. Fort Bliss, Texas, Senior Airman, I'm sorry, Private Eric J. Merwin, 20, from Davenport, New York. Tomorrow's Memorial Day, originally called Declaration, Decoration Day, first established to honor those soldiers killed during the Civil War by decorating their graves with flowers. Now Memorial Day, as it's called, is to honor all those service members, men and women, who died while serving our country. A sense of the day, I came across a poem published in 1882 by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. The title is Decoration Day. Sleep, comrades, Sleep and rest on this field of grounded arms, where foes no more molest, nor sentries shot alarms. Ye have slept on the ground before, and started to your feet at the cannon's sudden roar, or the drum's redoubling beat. But in this camp of death, no sound your slumber breaks. Here is no fevered breath, no wound that bleeds and aches. All is repose and peace. Untrampled lies the sod. The shouts of battle cease. It is the truce of God. Rest, comrades, rest and sleep. The thoughts of men shall be as sentinels to keep your rest from danger free. Your silent tents of green we deck with fragrant flowers. Yours has the suffering been. Ours, the memory, shall be ours. And as part of the National Moment of Remembrance Act of 2000, at 3 p.m. tomorrow, Remember to pause for a moment, for one minute of silence, to remember and honor those who have died in service to this nation. Let's pray to the Lord today and and remember those who have given their lives on our behalf. O God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the remembrance of this Memorial Day. As on this day we remember in your presence all those who fought and died that we might live, 
accept our gratitude and make us, we humbly ask you, more worthy of their ultimate sacrifice and help us to follow closely in the steps of your blessed Son, that at last we, along with them, may stand in your presence. For to you belongs all praise and thanksgiving and honor and power. Lord, we are so grateful for the sacrifice that those men and women have made in order to protect and serve our country. We ask that you would honor them and and honor their families this day uh, and this weekend as we remember them. Lord, we are so grateful. Your word says that greater love has no one than this, that a person should lay down their life for a friend. Lord, there's people uh, within our congregation, families who have experienced that firsthand. And so we pray that you would bless and honor them and that we would all as a country remember that sacrifice that was made. Lord, this weekend we also honor our graduates, uh, and we thank you for their hard work and their dedication that have brought them to this point. We pray that you continue to bless them and guide them in their lives as they end this stage of their journey and begin anew. We pray that you would be with them and that you would be their guide and that they would always turn to you and look to you, Lord, for everything that they need. Lord, we also remember the, the requests that are before us and always before us in our bulletin. The names that represent the, the many, the many issues, the, the, the illnesses, the, the, um, other areas of need, Lord, that are there. We pray for your, your provision. We pray for your guidance. And ultimately, Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be there to provide peace and comfort and care where it's needed. And Lord, in all these things, we ask your will to be done. In all of them, we ask that you would be glorified and that you would work all of these things together for our good. We pray this all in Christ's name, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time. This morning we're blessed uh, to hear Great is Thy Faithfulness from the Men's Choir.
be seated. Today's scripture, if you have your Bibles uh, with you, if you want to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 15, we'll be reading verses 1 through 21. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are uncircumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they were told by how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know what some time ago God made a choice among you, that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. If you would please rise, we will continue our service by turning to hymn number 201, Grace Greater Than Our Sin.
Father, I thank you for this opportunity to once again share your word. And I pray that as, as, we, as we look at scripture this morning, as, as we talk about it together, that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. We had a joke at, at my last church where I served as youth pastor that if you wanted uh, an idea to, to be put to a quick stop, you'd simply send it to a committee to discuss, right? You know, when, sometimes when you get people together and, and you're trying to make a decision, um, committees aren't, aren't always the most uh, productive or efficient way to do that. But oftentimes they are the most faithful because you're gathering people who love the Lord together and you're, and you're putting them in a situation where they can discuss and work together towards the end that God desires to see happen. What, we're, what we hear from Adam today from Acts chapter 15 is, is an example of, of really kind of the first ecumenical council of the church. There was an issue that they were faced. There were certain believers who were saying that, that in order for Gentiles, which is another word for non-Jewish people, to, to be accepted into the church, they must follow the laws of Moses represented uh, by circumcision. And so, and so in order to discuss this issue, in order to come to a conclusion, they, they gathered together in Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas and others from the church at Antioch came, and, and Peter and James were there who were pillars of the church in Jerusalem. And they gathered together to discuss what to do about this situation. And it was through their counsel, through their wisdom, that they were able to come to the conclusion that, that grace is the answer. That grace is the, the, the solution to this problem. You see, the issue was that, that there were certain believers who were, who were called Pharisees here that were, in, that were telling all these new believers, all these Gentiles who had converted to the Lord, that they must begin to follow the law of Moses if they truly wanted to be saved. That they must become, in essence, culturally Jewish in order to be uh, saved by Christ in order for their the work of Christ to be effective in their lives. You see, we often think of the Pharisees as the bad guys in the Gospels, right? They're the ones that often oppose Jesus' teaching. But there are actually many Pharisees who, who put their faith in Christ and became Christians. Paul himself is one of them. And for some of them, as they, as they transitioned into this new faith journey, as they put their trust in Christ, they, they had a hard time letting go of those rules and those regulations that had defined their lives for so long. See, the Pharisees, they loved their rules. In a sense, they were the good guys. They're the people that everyone looked up to because they were so adamant about following the law of God. They were the ones who encouraged everyone to put God's law first and follow that to whatever conclusion that may be. And so as they began to put their faith in Christ, they took that old way of life and translated it into following Christ. In other words, they put their trust in Christ. They trusted in his work on the cross for their redemption, but they felt that they still needed to and others still needed to follow the rules and the law of Moses in order to be saved. Unfortunately, Jesus had some pretty harsh words to say to the Pharisees during his ministry. For example, in Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 4, Matthew writes, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciple, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. And so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. In other words, they were so focused on the rules and the laws and the regulations that it was a burden to them. It was a burden to others, and they were unwilling to extend God's grace to those people in order to lighten their load. You see, there's often obstacles that we put in the way of the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. And these obstacles can come in many different shapes and forms, right? They could be man-made obstacles like the kind of music you listen to in church, right? the kind of instruments that are played, the kind of clothing that you're supposed to wear. There's some churches that, that I would be extremely underdressed walking into, right? And there's some churches where I'd be extremely overdressed walking into. I made the joke the other day that I didn't feel like I was the kind of pastor or the kind of church that could pull off, you know, ripped jeans and a t-shirt as I was preaching. And Allie was quick to inform me that I couldn't pull that off no matter what. So, um, 
But there's, you know, we, we put these regulations, we put these things in place, and we expect everyone to have to follow them in order to truly belong to Christ. And sometimes they go much deeper than simply the clothes you wear or the music you listen to. Sometimes it matters. It has to do with the color of your skin or the, the place you were born or the amount of money you have in your bank account. All those things are man-made obstacles that we put in the way of people receiving and experiencing the grace of Christ. Sometimes we tell people they have to clean up their act before they come to know the Lord. We tell them they have to, to, figure, to, to, to clean up their life before they can truly experience God's grace. And sometimes those obstacles are good, God-given things that we then distort and change. There's this story of this bronze snake in the Old Testament. It's a really interesting story. God had sent snakes into the, into the camp as, the, as, the people were in the, as the, God's people were in the wilderness wandering after they left Egypt. As, as part of his judgment towards them, he sent these snakes, and, and people were bit and, and, and were dying from the poison. Right? It was God's judgment that was sent on them. And, and they cried out to God for mercy. They cried out for his salvation. And so he instructed them to create this bronze snake and set it up on a pole. And whenever people would be bitten by a snake, they could simply look at that bronze snake as a symbol of God's salvation, as a symbol of God's mercy, and they would be healed. And God's people were delivered from his judgment in that way. But interestingly enough, generations later, we hear there's this passage, and I, and I, I can't recall off the top of my mind where that is right now, but, but generations later, this bronze snake shows up again, and it's in the temple and it's being worshipped as an idol. This good, God-given thing had been, had been distorted, had been changed, and people began to worship the bronze snake instead of the God who gave them salvation. And so sometimes we distort and we, we change those things that God gave us to be good, and we, we create obstacles and barriers. And so what we see here, what the, what this council at Jerusalem did is they came together to discuss and, and what they decided was that, that we cannot block what God is obviously doing. That if God is acting and God is moving and He's pouring out His grace on these people, then who are we to say that enough is enough? Who are we to get in the way and say, no, no, that, that's not good enough. We must also lay these other burdens on them. Peter references his ministry to the Gentiles, and we see that spelled out for us in Acts chapter 10 when he is called to go to the home of Cornelius, who is this, who is this Gentile. And Cornelius invites him to come and share the gospel, and as Peter shares the, the good news of Jesus Christ, it says that the Holy Spirit was poured out on Cornelius and all of his servants and his household. And Peter was amazed, and it was, it was that moment that he realized that it's not about being a Jew, it's not about following the law of Moses. It's about receiving Christ. It's about trusting in Him and, and the Holy Spirit being poured out. That's what makes a difference. Jesus was often criticized by those very same Pharisees about spending time with sinners and tax collectors. In Mark chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, it says Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating there with Him and His disciples, for there were many who followed Him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And in fact, that's what we see over and over again through, through Jesus' ministry, and later on through Peter and Paul's ministry, that it was often the people who needed God's grace who were aware of their own sin, who were aware of their shortcomings, they were the ones who responded with joy to the good news of the kingdom of God. And they received God's grace, and it's those people who then uh, were accepted into the kingdom. You see, the sign of the new covenant, covenant is not circumcision. It's not some physical act like that. It's, it's people responding to the gospel and receiving the Holy Spirit in their lives. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Notice there, what's the key? As we respond to the gospel, as we trust in our in that salvation, then we are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what makes the difference. That's why Paul later on was able to write in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Those distinctions were no longer important. It didn't matter whether you were born in Israel or born in, in, in anywhere else. What mattered was receiving Christ and trusting in his salvation. See, grace is the answer, not, not more restrictions. We don't need to hinder people from experiencing and receiving God's grace with unnecessary burdens. If God doesn't, then neither should we. But God's grace does lead to transformation. Accepting and receiving his, his gospel does lead to change in our own lives. Grace does not leave us where we are, but it changes us and transforms us from the inside out. Notice here that as, as they deliberated and as they came to the decision, it wasn't about, about just saying, well, grace is the answer, so it doesn't matter how people live or it doesn't matter what they do. Grace does not equal a free pass to continue living a life of sin. Romans 6 says that we are dead to sin and we are alive in Christ. And so once people receive God's grace, once people acknowledge their need for Christ and experience the Holy Spirit in their lives, then they will begin to change. Their lives will begin to reflect Christ's life more and more. But notice what comes first. It's grace. Grace comes first. And then God, through his Holy Spirit, will begin to work in and through that person to mold them more and more in the image of Christ. So there were certain expectations that were placed on these new believers, not to prevent them from receiving the gospel, but to help them live it out and live out the grace they received. I want to just make a few other quick observations here about this passage and things that I think will be helpful for all of us, but especially you know, our graduates as we, as we honor them and, and acknowledge them today. Notice here how important Paul's companions and his friends were. It's important to surround ourselves with wise and godly people. When a decision needed to be made, Paul was able to rely on their guidance and discernment. Notice there's James and there's Peter and there's Paul and Barnabas, as well as the other, other members of the Antioch church that were sent with them. They were surrounded by wise, godly people that helped them discern what needed to be done. Proverbs has a lot to say about the importance of keeping good company. It says in Proverbs 13:20, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. And probably the more famous one, Proverbs 27:17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We need to surround ourselves with friends who will build us up and not tear us down. We need to seek authentic Christian community. And lastly, notice that Paul and the others were able and, and able to acknowledge the authority of Scripture. They didn't make a decision here just willy-nilly, right? They didn't just make a decision because it felt good in the moment or it seemed right to them. They observed what God was doing, but they also were able to examine the scriptures and realize that this had been God's plan all along. Right there in the prophets, right there in the Old Testament, there was the, there was the indication that, that God's grace and his mercy wasn't just for, for Israel, but it was for all nations. And so when they realized what God was doing, they were able to look at scripture and say, this is what God had intended all along. This is what, this was part of God's plan. See, we have a lot of different forms, competing forms of authority in our lives. And not all of them are bad. There's a lot of good forms of authority. But what we need to do in our lives is we need to be able to prioritize them. We need to be able to say, this is when, when, when those forms of authority come in conflict, when they disagree with each other, we need to make a decision about which one of those is going to hold first priority. And I want to encourage all of us today that Scripture needs to be that number one priority. That as we look to Scripture, as we look to it for answers, we need to, to be willing to submit ourselves to it. 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
See, Scripture needs to be that authority in our life. Scripture needs to be that source when we're not sure what to do, when, when we have big decisions to make, when, when we're not sure what direction to head in. We need to be able and be willing to submit ourselves and look to Scripture for God's guidance. We need to surround ourselves with wise, godly people who can help us discern what God's will is. And we need to be willing to, to do that for the big decisions as well as for the little decisions. And when we do that, we'll see that grace is the answer. We'll be able to see that God intends all people to know him and to, to come to a saving knowledge of him. And if we put obstacles in their way, we're only doing a disservice to what God is doing. So let's, let's agree together. Let's work together to remove those obstacles so that all people may know Christ and receive his grace. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you. Lord, that you have made a way for us to be in relationship with you. That it's not about following a set of rules. It's not about earning our way into your family, but it's about the grace that you have expressed and showed us through Christ and through your Holy Spirit being poured out. I pray that all here today and all listening on the radio would be able to to know and experience that grace and respond to it by putting our trust in you. And I pray as we do so that you would fill us with your spirit and transform us from the inside out to live lives that are honoring and pleasing to you. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. Well, today we're going to be taking uh, the closing moments of our service to honor our graduates. And so I'm going to invite Tori to to come up and join me, and and we're going to um, invite each one of you forward. I'm going to read read off your names, and as your name is read, I invite you to come up, and, and Tori's got a card for you. And uh, I'm going to invite you to stay up here with us, uh, embarrass you a little bit, and make you stand up here and face everybody, um, and, and just kind of form a line here. And then Tori's got a few words that she wants to share with you as well. So as I said, I'll just call your name and invite you to come forward. Brittany Bumbar, Lauren Holscher, Sophia Holscher, Ben Lammers, Caitlin Lammers, Nathan Murgis, Zane Schreer. Nathan Tinnerman Top, Ashley Paul, and Ethan Butcher. Let's take a moment and just congratulate them for all their all their hard work. Congratulations, guys. This is a huge accomplishment. Parents, congratulations for getting them through high school and junior high and all those crazy years. <laughs> um, when Pastor Joel asked me to say a few words today, I thought I came up with a list of things that I could have said, right? Things of do's and don'ts and what you should do at college, what you shouldn't do. But really, God brought me to this scripture, and I want to leave you with this thought. It's from Colossians 2, 6 through 7. It says, So then, just as you receive Christ, as Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up and strengthened in faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Graduating from high school is just the beginning of your journey. This is the beginning of one of many moments to come that you will be celebrating, um, And that God will bring you through. And I just want to leave you guys with two things to think about. So the first thing is that your relationship with Christ is the most important relationship you'll ever have. And so I want to encourage you guys to make sure that you are rooting yourself in your faith. As you go to college, as you go off into the workforce, whatever your plans are, make sure that you put the time in with Christ. That is the most important relationship you'll ever have. And you guys already have a great foundation from being here, from going through confirmation. You guys know the Bible. You guys know Scripture and you know what it says. But I want to encourage you to continue to apply that to your hearts. Let it transform your life. Let it transform your hearts and your minds and the things you do. So when you do go to college and when you do enter in the workforce and go on throughout your life, that Christ is your foundation. And the second thing is find a group of people that can build you up. Find a group of believers at your school or wherever it is you are at um, to build you up. One of the first things that my youth, past, my youth pastor told me to do when I got to college was to go and look on the activities board and see what Christian groups there were. 
announcement, it was one of the best things of advice he ever gave me. Uh, thankfully, I went to a Christian school, so it wasn't very hard. But most schools have Christian organizations that you can be a part of. And they have groups that you can find that are easily accessible for you to be involved in. And I guarantee you, if you go and find friends in those groups, you won't be disappointed. You'll, be, you'll come out with the best of friends, but you'll also have a support system. Because college is hard, right? Life, adulthood, it's hard. So when you have those friends that can come alongside you and build you up, it makes the journey a little bit easier. And the last thing I want to leave you with is have fun. These next four years and the years after that are some of the best of your life. And there are going to be ups and downs and many of those things, but I guarantee you if you are rooted in your faith, you have a group of believers surrounding you that you will do just fine. And remember that life is about the journey. It's not about the destination and how fast you get there. So whether you're in college for four years or ten years, if you're going to be a doctor, um, remember to enjoy the journey. And remember to enjoy the journey that God has placed you on. And we are excited as a church to see where God takes you in these next couple years and know that we will be praying for you. And we hope that you come back and visit us. Well, I'd like to take a moment and pray for each one of you, um, and I invite you to join us in prayer. Father, thank you so much for these graduates. Thank you that you have brought them this far. Uh, Lord, this journey that they've been on through school, uh, Lord, is not an easy one. And for, for some of them, that will continue. For others, there may be other plans. But Lord, you know uh, what is in store for their futures. And so I pray that as they enter this new stage of life, whatever whatever that may bring, that you would guide them, that you would be with them, that you would send your spirit to, to comfort them and, and see them through this time. And Lord, as they as they do that, as they step out onto their own for some of them for maybe the first time, that you would bless them, that you would draw them to yourself and that you would give them the guidance that they need each and every day. And as they do that, as they step out, Lord, I pray that their focus would be on you, that their hearts and their minds would, would, be, would be attentive to what you're doing in their lives, and that they would not, Lord, uh, neglect the faith, but this would be an opportunity for them to grow in it and to, to experience you and your grace and your mercy in a whole new way. And so we pray for your guidance. We pray for your provision. And Lord, we, we praise you and thank you for all that you've been doing in their lives and will continue to do. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, in just a moment, I'm going to invite you all to, to be seated. In closing our service today, we'd like to honor our graduating class by singing together their confirmation class song. Um, the words are printed in your bulletin. It is How Great is Our God. So I invite you to stand and join us as we sing that today. You guys.
Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.